Good morning. I am so happy to be up here. Uh, welcome to Pierce Community Church. My name is Dylan Adams. I am a deacon in training and the youth leader here at Pierce Community Church. Obviously, welcome to everyone here in person and a welcome to everybody watching us online. Maybe next time we, uh, we can see you in person if you're watching online. You know, we, we love that community. Love to see you. Uh, before I go any further, I was just told by Barney back there that we have a very special birthday that we, we have to acknowledge before we move forward. I hear that it is Margaret's 80th birthday. That is amazing. Happy birthday, Margaret. Always wearing those stylist hats. I love it. Oh, man. Well, good morning. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, a few things uh, that are different than what I normally do. There'll be some pictures on the screen as we go through uh, regarding different stories that I'm talking about and stuff. I don't typically include pictures, but anything to, you know, continue to keep you guys engaged, right? Yeah. Uh, and then <laughs> one other thing that I really like to do is, I, I, when, you know, we've been in Genesis for it feels like forever. I, I really don't know how long, but like we're, we're in Genesis 40 now. I feel like it's been years since we've been in Genesis. It feels like eons. Um, so one of the things I like to do when we're going over a specific story or a specific line, uh, I did the same thing when, when I got to preach on Abraham and Isaac and all of that, uh, is kind of a, um, a previously on, right? So you, you guys know, you, you'll be binge watching Netflix or Hulu or whatever you guys stream. And you know, you might be 16 episodes in without a break, but for some reason, that 17th episode, they're like, you know what, we're just going to remind you what happened in the last 16 episodes, previously on. So that, that's what we're going to do today, just starting out so you understand what we're doing. So previously on, Joseph and the Code of Many Colors. So Joseph starts out, he is one of Jacob's, whose name is now Israel, 12 sons, and he was favored by his father. So favored that Jacob made him a coat of many colors, which I like to refer to as a multicolored target on his back. <laughs> um, this enraged his brothers even more. So his brothers decided, you know what would be good? We're going to sell him into slavery because that wasn't zero to 100 in, you know, no time. They sell, him into, they sell him into slavery because they're envious of him. So he sold off to the Egyptians. In Egypt, Joseph was bought by Potiphar, an Egyptian official, and served in his, in his household. Now, Joseph did so well serving in Potiphar's household that Potiphar put him in charge of the whole house. There's nothing that he didn't trust to, to, trust to Joseph, right? Until Potiphar's wife decided, that's one handsome man. I'm going to try to make a move. Now, Joseph, being the righteous man that he is, is like, no, like, I've been given charge of everything in this house except you because you belong to Potiphar, you belong to my master. Not going to happen. She continues to make her advances. He still says no, and she decides to make up a lie that he laid with her. And Potiphar believes that, and he gets thrown into jail. It's not, any, it's not just any jail. He gets thrown into the jail of the, the, like the king's jail, right? And that's kind of where our story starts. He is, he is imprisoned, but unrightfully so. He doesn't belong there. But that's, that's where this story kind of starts, right? So what we're going to do, Genesis 40 is pretty, a pretty short chapter. I'm going to read through it. We're going to comb through it a little bit and then pull some stuff out of it. I know that title is probably strange, Beyond the Dark. It will make sense by the end. And if it doesn't, that's on me. <laughs> All right. 
Uh, I'll be reading out of the NASB version of Genesis chapter 40 if you want to follow along. If not, it won't be on the screen, but so use your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, use your phones because there are so many Bibles on there. All right. Then it came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was furious, and his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, so he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, and he, Joseph, took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream and each dream with his own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed observed them, behold, they were dejected. He asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, in case you forgot, you know, they were in confinement. Why are your faces so sad today? Then they said to him, we have had a dream and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, do not, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches, and, and as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. So I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh And get me out of this house. Uh, For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the the top basket, there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. And the birds were eating them out, out, out of the basket on my head. Then Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and will hang you on a tree. (laughs) It got dark real fast. (laughs) And the birds will eat your flesh off you. Thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. That's a bummer. So let's, let's, pull, let's, let's pull a few things out of here. So first off, it's interesting in the beginning of this chapter, it refers to them as the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt. We find out later on in the chapter, they're actually the chief baker and the chief cupbearer. Now, somehow, they offended their lord. They offended their master. There are many viewpoints here. 
some people think that they, there was a plot to possibly poison the king, to poison the pharaoh, and that was, could have been the offense there. Um, obviously, one of them was cleared from that. Um, other than that, we don't have a clear understanding of how they offended him. We just know that they offended him, and it was enough for him to be like, get. Probably didn't say it like that. But <laughs> Now, here's an interesting thing. We see in this story that Joseph has been put in charge of the prisoners. Now, it is believed that that's based off of his good behavior while being in prison there. That shouldn't be a surprise to us. We saw how he served in Potiphar's house. He was a great servant, humble, hardworking. No surprise that he's put in charge of these, of these prisoners. And that allows him to have access to the chief cupbearer and the chief baker who were imprisoned, right? Which also allows him to interpret their dreams, which eventually, not in this chapter, but eventually leads to his release from this prison. Interesting what God does in these situations, right? So another thing that we want to understand here is, and this, this, is, this is funny to me, I laughed about it for a while last night as I was preaching through this, but not only is Joseph taking care of these prisoners, but he's checking on them. He's caring for their needs, right? So I'm going to paint a picture for you. You know, Joseph wakes up, he stretches, and he goes, I'm going to go check on the prisoners and see what they need. So he gets up, and he goes, and apparently their faces look sad. And he goes, why are your faces so sad today? Now, my first instinct is, they're in prison. What, what, do, you, what do you think? Like, like, of course they're sad. But apparently it was a different kind of sadness because he asked. And at least he cared enough to ask because that led him to finding out that they had dreams. And they were sad because there was no one there to interpret them. Now, we should know. It should kind of put up a, not a red flag, but a flag for us to be, to, to realize that they said there's no one here to interpret. Which means that they were used to having people to interpret interpreting dreams wasn't a, a weird thing in these days. This is, it wasn't some crazy thing. There were people that they would have had access to, if not in prison, that could have helped them interpret their dreams. Now, that doesn't mean they would have interpreted them rightly, but they would have interpreted them. And then Joseph says an interesting thing. Do not interpretations belong to God. Tell it to me, please. Now, Joseph has interpreted his, his own dreams before. Um, so, I, he's very kind of stepping out in faith here and saying, interpretations belong to God. I got you. So he, the chief cupbearer right away starts telling Joseph his dream. Now the chief baker, you can tell that he's like, mm, I don't know about this guy yet. Like, I'm going to wait to see what happens. So the chief cupbearer tells Joseph his dream. Joseph's like, oh, the, the, three, the three branches at three days, and the, the pharaoh will raise you up on the third day, and you'll be restored back to your office. And the chief baker is like, bet, awesome, that was, a, that was favorable, do me next. Um, his wasn't so favorable. Oh, the three baskets of bread, yeah, that means three days too. And uh, the birds eating the bread off your head, yeah, they're, that's, that's your flesh. It's going to be pulled off your body. So... Not a favorable, but still an interpretation and an accurate one. So, <laughs> and then, of course, we see Joseph tell the, the chief cupbearer, hey, remember me when this works out for you. Of course, he doesn't. Lucky Joseph. Not right away, at least. We do read in a few chapters that 
you know, the Pharaoh has a dream that needs interpret, interpreted and nobody can do it. And then the, the cupbearer is like, you know, I met a guy in prison. And, and luckily Joseph is, uh, is pulled out at that point and, lift, and exalted and all these wonderful things. Now, one of the other things that is interesting is this phrase, lifted up the head. When we think about that phrase, it almost sounds like a good thing. It's not. <laughs> lifted up the head in this context, it means more of like, bring to judgment. You're, you're being lifted up. And you know how we can tell that? Because they were both, both of their heads were lifted up. One, one was hung and one was restored. They're brought up from the prison for their judgment calling, right? One went well, one didn't go so well. We don't know why. Maybe the baker was guilty of trying to poison the king and the cupbearer was not guilty. But either way, he lifted up their head, both of them, to cast judgment and one passed and one did not. Now, here's the thing that I'm going to be kind of taking you on a journey with. Because one of the things that I find interesting in this situation is we've got Joseph. He's in prison. Unrightfully so, he's in prison. And he's doing well, as well as you can in prison, um, that he is put in charge of the prisoners, right? Right? And that allows him access to the chief cupbearer, the chief baker, which then allows him access to interpret their dreams, which eventually allows him access out of the prison to a very high standing with the, with the pharaoh. Joseph could have went a different direction. Joseph could have got thrown in jail, unrightfully so, and that could have been it for him. He could have thrown himself a pity party and said, this isn't fair, life's not fair, if you didn't know that already. This isn't fair. And I can't believe this happened, and God's not real because bad things are happening to me, and all this craziness. I was sold into slavery, and now I'm in jail. Like, what is this? And he could have missed the opportunity for what God was trying to do. It's possible. All of us have things in our lives that we get kind of involved in, kind of sometimes drowning in, and we miss the opportunities that we have to bring glory to the Lord, to move his, his kingdom forward, right? Uh, you can throw up the first picture. I know that it should be a glacier of some sort. Possibly. There we go. So a lot of you may be familiar with this picture. It's used in a few different contexts, but I wanted to bring this up. This is a glacier. Now, you, you should be able to tell that let's say 20% of this glacier is above water, while the, the, the other 80% can't even see it. It's underwater. That 20% is what we're dealing with in our day-to-day. -day. We can see it. That 20% looks like it is the end of the world for us. It looks like that is all that exists in this moment. All the bad that's in our lives, it, it, it blinds us and it, it'll, it keeps us from being able to see truly what God is calling us to. But God, he sees that whole glacier. He sees everything. He sees 100%. And he's looking at your 20% and he's going, I know this sucks I know your pain, I know your sorrow, but I see everything, and there is light still in this darkness. So even though you can only see your 20%, and that 20% feels like your whole world, everything's falling down around you, and that 20% is it's unbearable, God sees that, that, that 100%, and he says, I will bring you through it. Now, I want to go through a few 
characters in the Bible and talk about their circumstances and how they could have turned out differently if they were not thinking differently, if they, were, if they decided that they were just going to throw up their hands and be like, ugh, life sucks. So we're going to go through a few different characters. We're going to start with Moses. So um, this is a funny picture whenever it comes up, if it comes up. Um, so <laughs> Moses kills an Egyptian and hides him in the sand. It is very funny to me that Exodus actually records him hiding them in the sand. Uh, that's, I just thought it was funny. So Moses' life. So Moses' life starts out by being put into a basket floated down the river, right? He's found by Pharaoh's daughter, raised by her. And he realizes he's a Hebrew, so instead of being claimed as Pharaoh's daughter, he, he claims himself as one of God's people. And shortly after, sees an Egyptian being rude to a, a, a Hebrew and decides he's going to kill him and hide him in the sand. Can't forget the hiding in the sand part. So right then, Moses flees into the wilderness. Understandably, you just murdered somebody, probably want to run, you know. Probably would have been a little quicker to ride a camel or something, but, you know, just flee into the wilderness. And in that wilderness, who does he run into? God. He encounters God in the wilderness. Now, right away, Moses could have allowed this thing that happened. He did it. It's his sin. He killed a man. Rightfully or not rightfully, either way, he killed a man. He could have let that become his identity. He could, have, he could have made that his reason for not seeking what God had. But in that wilderness that he fled into, he encounters God. And right away, Moses is like, listen, I understand what you're saying, but I don't think I'm the guy. Right away. Now, surprisingly, Moses doesn't just say, hey, I just killed a man. Probably, probably should pick somebody else, but it's more my, my speech and all of these things. But Moses pushes forward anyway. Moses could have given so many different reasons on why he did not want to serve God. I mean, he could have had an easy life being Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's daughter's son, but instead he chose differently. He looked beyond that at how he could serve his heavenly father, right? And of course, let's not even talk about all the other things that Moses runs into. I mean, after multiple plagues and all of that craziness, he, Pharaoh lets people go, and then they decide to chase him. And Moses could have gotten to the Red Sea and said, oh, we're dead. Everything's, everything's, we're just, we're screwed. What are we going to do? He could have just thrown up his hands and, and, and quit. Could have turned back and said, take me. Like, but he didn't. He continued to trust in the Lord in that moment. And by golly, the Lord split the Red Sea, miraculously letting them pass through and escaping Pharaoh's men, right? So Moses, he initially resisted God's call and even killed an Egyptian, but God still chose him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and deliver the Ten Commandments. Now, if, now, if Moses would have been involved in the circumstances in his life, he may have never got there. He may have never been, been able to see clear enough to truly walk out what God had for him, right? Another example. We all should be familiar with David and Bathsheba. Um, I had to really figure out what, uh, what, what picture to use for this one. Uh, this, if you're curious, is Uriah. Uh, David has him killed. Um, backstory, if you don't know it, uh, David sees Bathsheba bathing on a roof, desires her, gets her pregnant, 
that's really an A move, um, decides to try and trick her soldier husband, Uriah, to lay with her, hoping to convince him that's your baby. When that doesn't work, David sends her husband to the front lines of the war to be killed. And that's what this is supposed to represent. It was either this or a depiction of David looking upon Bathsheba on the roof, and that didn't seem appropriate. So I went with this. <laughs> Here's the thing. Despite committing adultery with Bathsheba and having her husband Uriah killed, David was still considered a man after God's own heart. And God used him to establish the lineage of Jesus. Now, how could that story have gone different? Well, what David did was not right, and he knew that. I mean, God literally sent a prophet to David to be like, hey, you messed up. And of course, David could have let that become his new identity. David could have said, well, I messed up. I'm down in the darkness again, and I'm, I'm not worthy to serve. He could have let that become his identity. He could have let that blind him from what else God has. But instead, he's able to seek the Lord and honestly have a big part of what, what, we, what we now have as our Bible. David is known to us the man after God's own heart. This is the man that had a man killed because he did wrong. But even that wasn't enough for David to just lay down and be like, well, I messed up. I guess God's done with me. Absolutely not. Then we've got Paul in jail. And this is not an accurate representation of Paul, but it was the one that I found um, that I enjoyed because he needed to have a writing desk, right? This is from a movie. I just don't know what movie it's from. So here's the interesting thing about Paul in jail. A similar situation to Joseph where Paul is in jail but still doing ministry. Now, Paul is in jail for his faith, right? He's walking out his faith. He's living as a, as a believer in Christ. And again, Paul could have chosen to wallow in his circumstances and be like, oh man, I'm in jail for just doing what God told me to do. This isn't my fault. I got blinded on the road to Damascus. What do you mean? Like, I didn't, I didn't choose this. It chose it, it chose it for me. And he could have gotten lost in that. He could have let his circumstances blind him from the ministry at hand, blind him from what God was calling him to do. But instead, four of the epistles that Paul wrote were written from a jail cell. Uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, all while he's in prison. All of them. Not to mention, he was ministering to the guards. We have, we have record in the, in the scripture that there were guards that were saved because of Paul's ministry. Now, Paul, again, could have chosen to let this circumstance defeat him. He could have said, well, it's over. I'm in jail. God can't use me anymore. He could have said, oh, even though it's for my faith, I guess, I guess I'm useless now. No. Paul looked beyond that, beyond this dark situation that he was in and said, how can I still serve Jesus? We even see that today. There are people that are in jail today that have given their life to the Lord. And even though they are confined in a jail, they are free in Christ. And they are still ministering to those around them. That's a beautiful thing. Now, here's a few personal examples that may hit a little closer to home. Maybe you're sitting here today and your kid is sick or you're having marriage problems or your spouse left you. Maybe, maybe you've lost a loved one. 
Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you're struggling with your faith. Maybe your car is falling apart. Maybe you're struggling with depression and anxiety. Maybe your kids are just being butts. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Naomi. <laughs> God can still use you. God is not looking for a perfect you. He's looking for a faith-filled you. He's not looking for somebody that has everything together. He's not, he didn't say, come to me when your crap is cleaned up. He didn't say, come to me when you are shining like the new day sun. He didn't say, come to me when everything is perfect in your life. He just said, come to me and I'll give you rest. God is not looking for perfect. He's looking for the willing. He's looking for the faith-filled people that desire to serve him. Do you know how we know that? Let's go back to Paul's life. Now, when Paul was called, um, remind me, did, uh, was he like perfect and clean and like ready to go when Jesus called him? No. He was on his way to kill more Christians. He, he, was, he was ready to go crack some Christian skulls. And, and Jesus said, I want you. That should bring, you, bring a lot of hope because I don't think anybody in here is going to leave here today and go kill people. If you do, don't tell me about it. Paul was far from perfect, far from perfect, and he was called and used by the Lord. You are not nearly where Paul was, and you are also being called because the Lord wants to use you. It doesn't matter your circumstances. It doesn't matter what's going on. You can look beyond that. And you can still be used by your Heavenly Father. Sometimes you won't understand, most of the time, let's be real. We don't understand why things are happening to us. In short, we could say, well, it's a broken world. You're right, it is a broken world. And these things happen. But that doesn't help. Acknowledging that it's a broken world doesn't fill me with, you know, hope to move on. But it is a broken world. Sometimes you just won't understand. Things will be happening and you feel like you're drowning and you're in the darkest parts that you've ever been in and you won't understand. But that doesn't mean that you've become useless to God. It doesn't mean that he, does, he, he just looks at you and goes, well, when you get cleaned up, come back and then you can be a part of my kingdom. Then you can help spread, spread my kingdom. Then you can help bring me glory. No. He wants you where you are at. And he says, come to me. He'll clean you up. He'll bring you in like a, like a, mother, a mother goose and, and make sure that you're, you're cared for and, and you're clean. He's not looking for the perfect. Now, when it comes to not understanding, uh, there's one, one more picture that I'd like to paint for you. So imagine you've been following a guy around for, let's say, three years. He's probably a little bearded, you know, if the, if the descriptions are right. And he's been teaching you all these things. And you actually believe this man to be the Messiah. Now, the Messiah, the way that you've been taught, is the man that will, that will free you from Rome. He will, he's the solution to all your prayers, the answer to all your prayers. He is your king, your hero, your savior. And then you watch him drive nails into his hands and nails into his feet. And you watch him lift him up on a cross. And then you watch your Savior die. 
Those disciples didn't understand what was going on. They weren't standing around the, the cross super excited because they knew what was coming. No. Hopeless, despair. Sometimes we're going to feel like that too. Like we don't know how to take the next step. We don't know how to move forward. The disciples felt that way. They didn't understand what had happened. This is a guy that was supposed to save them. But he's hanging on a tree now. They didn't understand that. Peter denied Jesus three times before they even hung him. Some of them did that. Some of them fled because they were so scared. And then some of them gathered in a room and they mourned because they lost their king. Now, in those situations, we have a few options. We can stay in that place, in that place of darkness, or we can look for the light. Now, I've been talking a whole lot about seeing past these things and how to see beyond the dark and all of these things. But how do we do that? Because I like to be practical, you know? I try to, try to make sure that I don't leave you guessing. Obviously, this is easier said than done. All of us are going through things in our lives that we, don't ha we have no idea how we're going to, to make it through. Jesus, that's how you make it through. One of the things that I want to bring to your mind for a moment is uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 28, that says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, let's look at the Joseph story, right? That situation is not a great situation. Now, we do see later on that because Joseph made himself available, God is able to bring him out of that prison, right? Now, that doesn't mean that Joseph's life is perfect. We all know that. Our lives aren't perfect. We're dealing with pain and sorrow and anxiety and all of these things, health issues, stress. Life is not perfect. The scripture doesn't mean that your life's going to be perfect. But it does mean that God can take the ridiculously stupid bad things that are going on in your life and somewhere down the road, glory will come from that. I'm a testament to that. I have been a part of insane things in my life. And as a believer, I stand here today and I look back at those, those situations and they weren't good. They were sin, sinful situations. Those weren't good. But I've watched God bring me through it to this moment. And it's made me who I am right now. Sometimes the good that comes from that is just bringing God glory because he's brought you through something. It's not always that your life is great and you're, you're, you're having prosperity and all these things. Sometimes, maybe. But that's, that's not what it is. You have to be okay with God taking the bad that's going on and using it for his glory. The Bible says that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And he won't. Sometimes it feels like you're alone. I was talking to Barney about this a few weeks ago. Where we go through things. And I'll speak for myself. Something will happen in my life. And it will be so overwhelming that I need to talk to somebody. Right? But then I sit there. And I scroll through my phone. And I try to decide who can I talk to that I won't be a bother to? Who can I talk to that would actually want to hear from me? Now, of course, there are plenty of people in my life that want to hear from me. I'm just an idiot. <laughs> but 
that is, that, that, I mean, literally, two weeks ago, same thing. I'm scrolling through my phone trying to decide, man, who do I, who do I talk to? Luckily, Barney and Nathan are always more than happy to, to be there and, and, and answer my call of it when I do call. And that's, that's a huge blessing to have, you know, Mark and Barney and Nathan in my life. And they don't seem to get annoyed too much. Maybe Nathan, but no. <laughs> uh, But you are not alone. Even in those moments where you don't know who to call, you can always call upon Jesus. Always. I made this joke the other day, and I can't remember exactly how I phrased it, but you have, a, you have a direct line to the Lord, a direct phone plan, and you don't have to pay for it. It's already been paid for. He's always there. He's always listening. He's there for you. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. All of your anxiety. Because he cares about you. All of you. You know how we know? Jesus. I like to call the Bible, and I should have an actual physical Bible up here on me, but I like to call the Bible God's resume because any time that you are curious if he loves you or curious about how God feels about us, all you got to do is open up his resume, just do a little bit of digging, and it will become very clear to you the love and the mercy that he has for you. It's a great resume, better than any resume I could ever build. Here's some more instruction. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on, your, not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Remember earlier when I said that sometimes you won't understand? Lean not on your own understanding. Even if you do understand or you think you understand, you don't. Don't lean on your understanding, but trust in the Lord and only him. Because he knows what's best for you. He, remember the glacier, he sees the 100%. He sees it all. He knows what he wants to accomplish through whatever it is that you're going through. And then we, we have Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, be anxious for nothing, again. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Here's an interesting thing. So we're instructed in the beginning of this, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made, made known to God. Now that scripture reminds me of something that, uh, that Nathan mentioned, Lord, I, I don't even know how many weeks ago at this point. It, it, all, it all runs together. But Nathan quoted this study, and I've actually seen the same study, and it's very interesting. They realized that the part of your brain that controls anxiety, anxiousness, all of that, cannot fire at the same time as the part of your brain that deals in thankfulness. Can't do it. They can't work at the same time. Now, that's an interesting thing, because that sounds a whole, li whole lot like what the Scripture's telling us to do. Obviously, we'll be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. One of those situations where it's like, hmm, maybe science and the Bible are kind of, you know, joining hands for a second there. If we are able to remain thankful, even in the crappiest situations, and please don't think that I am lowering the bar in what you're going through because I know. I have been through the ringer. I know many of you have gone through worse things than I have, but I understand what, it, what it's like to feel 
alone and swallowed by the darkness, by the stress and the anxiety and the worries of life, I feel like I'm a pro at it at this point. But I also know there's not a moment that there's not light in that darkness somewhere. And that light is Jesus. There's always hope in Jesus. Hope is being able to see that there's a light despite all of the darkness. And there might be one more picture representing that. I'm not really sure. I sent, I sent the, the email to Brittany last night at like 12 o'clock or something stupid. So I'm trying to remember what pictures I have. But um, all good. Yeah. We can see beyond the darkness because we have the light. And his name is Jesus. John 1.5 says, the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness does not overcome it, nor will it. I know that some of you are dealing with things that we can't even imagine. And I know that it's very easy to let those things envelop you and consume you and make you feel like you are not capable of being used by the Lord. That's hogwash. Don't lie to yourself. If God can take somebody like Paul a murder of Christians and use him for his purpose. He can use everybody in this room. If God can take a man like me and get me to where I am today to have the honor to speak to all of you, there's not a single person in this room that he can't do the same for. It does not matter what you're going through. It does not matter how deep in the darkness you feel. Jesus is your light. And you were being called upon because you still have a purpose you are still useful. It doesn't matter if you're young, if you're old. God still wants to use you. I urge you all to pray about what he has for you. Look beyond that darkness. Look for the light of Jesus. Keep your eye upon him because he has something special for you. One of my one of my favorite things to do is come up here and be able to share my heart with all of you. Not because I think it makes me look good, not because it's any pride thing, but because I know my life. I know my anxieties. I know my worries. I know the, de the depression that I struggle with at times. I know all of these things. And when I get up here and the Lord allows me to share a message with all of you, when I walk away from this stage, I have to hold back the tears because I'm so overwhelmed by his grace and his mercy that he would choose me, a redneck from Georgetown, Ohio, <laughs> to, be a, to be a minister of his gospel, of his word. Doesn't make any sense. I barely graduated. I paid people to, to like take tests for me. Like I, I, but yet I'm still being used here. And in the same way he used the disciples, he used fishermen to spread his word. These are uneducated people. But he used them. None of us in here cannot be used by God. All of you have a purpose. And God wants to use all of you. I urge you to, to seek him. And to find out what he has for you. Because I pray and rejoice in the thought of all of you being used for the purpose of his glory and his kingdom. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. 
we thank you that even though we may feel like we are in the darkness, that you are with us. Though we may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. You, you, you have not left us. You have not forsaken us. And all we have to do is seek you and your light. And you will bring it through. I thank you for this body. I thank you that no matter what we are caught up in, we, are still, we still have the ability to be used by you. And I pray that we all hunger for a deeper relationship with you. And we hunger to be used by you and to serve your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.